that. Give your Bibles and you can stand with me. Colossians chapter 3, we're moving on a little bit this morning. Going down to verse 8 this time instead of verse 5. Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, but now. How many know there's a now there had to be a then? Amen, all right? But now, you also put off these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We need to open our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to move. God, to convince, to convict, for only you know what we need the most. And I pray, Lord, we will be challenged today through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Our new life in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I, I realized this soon after I was saved. I didn't really know what living was until I became saved. Living in freedom, living without guilt, living knowing that my sins have been forgiven, they're all under the blood, and knowing that Christ lives in me through the Holy Spirit of God. What a joy that is. And so without a doubt, if you're born again, that means being born anew, being born from above, we are now experiencing A brand new life in Christ. And I want to remind you, the moment you got saved, God declared you righteous. He justified you. Romans 5, 1, I don't have that verse in my notes today. But therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So the very moment that we confess Christ as our Savior, He declared us righteous. He also made a transfer from his account to our account, and he transferred some of the rights of Christ onto our lives. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. We are living a brand new life. But also understand, when the Bible speaks about being saved, it literally means in the process of being saved. Yes, we're declared saved, as though we never sinned the moment we believe. God forgives all of our sins, But we're to begin to live that out every day in our life. And our salvation process, although we're declared that already initially, doesn't end or complete until we get to heaven. And like John says, there's a lot of things I don't know. But this I do know when I see him, I'll be just like him. And I can't even fathom that. So that's our overall theme, our new life in Christ. We talked many weeks on verse 5, and Paul mentioned about five things we're to mortify, we're to put to death. Today, and we'll pick it up up again in a moment in verse 8 and 9, and there Paul is going to list about five things we're to put off. In verse 7, Paul talks about our past lifestyle. He said, in the which you also uh, walk some time when you lived in them. So that's uh, 
the previous before the but now, verse 8. How many know all have sinned? How many know we're in that group? And there was a time in our lives, as Christians even, before we were saved, we were caught up in this world. And we lived in our lives uh, in such a manner that we really didn't care about uh, the sins we were committing. And the Bible is very clear and says that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. But thank God all of that changed when Jesus Christ came into our life. That all changed. So we used to live that way before we came to Christ. And to sort of sum it up, to make make sure we understand, the Bible says, stop it. Stop living the way you used to be. So here in verse 8, the Bible says, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing we have put off the old man. Doesn't matter who you are. Whenever we came to Christ, we brought some weeds along with us. When God's seed was sown in our hearts, when the Word of God took fruition, there's some weeds we need to get rid of. And because of this new life in Christ, in verse 5, Paul said, put these things to death. And now in verse 8, he says, not only do we need to put those things to death, we also need to put off other things as well. That means to get rid of them or just roll. The old filthy clothes have to be taken off before the new clothes can be put on. And as we consciously daily remove the old life of sin and put on this new life in Christ, once we experience the new life in Christ, once we've been declared righteous, we talked about that a moment ago, once we're declared righteous, the Bible says we're to live that out in our lives like we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So in verse 8, we, we introduced this last week, the first thing Paul says, now uh, you also put off anger. And I really thought last week I was preaching to myself. Get right, you know, get rid of your anger. And I had at least two people came to me and and said, no, you were preaching to me. Well, the fact of the matter is I wasn't preaching to anybody except everybody, all right? If anger is part of our lives, we need to put it off. We need to get rid of that. And the idea here is a a tenuous attitude that remains bottled up and, and uh, under the surface. And if we, if we don't deal with it, the danger is it will turn into rage. And anger can destroy harmony in our family. It can start, uh, bring harmony to the family of God. It can destroy our unity among believers. But the good thing is God's Word, and, and by the way, you'll never see in the Word of God where God says to do something Unless he tells us how to do it. So in the Bible we find several principles about how we can deal with anger in our life. Now again, biblically speaking, anger is a God-given energy. And God gave it to us. He intended us to help us solve our problems. 
But anger out of control will always lead to sin. We've got to guard against that. So how does anger become sinful? Number one, whenever it's motivated by pride. Number two, uh, when it's unproductive and distorts God's purposes. Uh, again, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Bible says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do how? To the glory of God. So if our anger does not glorify God, it is sinful. It must glorify God. Also, anger becomes sinful. We allow it to linger. Ephesians 4.26 Be ye angry and sin not. Let, the, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The fourth way that anger becomes sinful, when you attack, uh, instead of attacking the problem, we, we attack the person. We attack the person. And i got to tell you, that's difficult not to do. That is difficult not to do. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Anger also uh, becomes sin when we allow it to boil over without restraint. I think I mentioned last week, uh, there are two Greek words for the word anger uh, in, the, in the New Testament. One means passionate energy. One means boiling. And we allow it to boil over without restraint. It becomes Sin. The sixth way is when anger refuses to be pacified, when it holds a grudge or keeps it all inside. Those are signs that our anger has become sinful. So how do we deal with that? How do we handle anger biblically? Number one, we have to admit it. We have to recognize and admit our prideful anger and the fact that we probably are handling anger wrong. We've got to admit it. But second of all, we have to handle our anger by seeing God in the midst of the situation. Now, folks, hear me well. In the world we live in, I confess... It's hard not to get angry. When you read or hear the news, it's hard not to get angry. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. When I hear what the liberals say and do, it's hard for me not to get angry. When someone says, I've got to think the way they think, it's hard not to get angry. So we have to understand, we have to see God in this. And we have to understand that no matter what comes our way, God walks with us. In fact, going back to Romans chapter 8, verse 20, you know the verse. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Whatever the situation is, whatever it is that's making you angry, Pause for a moment and see God in this. Lord, I don't understand. I don't know why this is happening. And there are times we say to ourselves or out loud, I don't know why you allow it to happen. But God, help me to understand that whatever it is, it's going to work out in the end for my good and for your glory. See God in the trial. But the second thing is, or the third thing is, Make room for the wrath of God. 
Make room for the wrath of God. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Let me pause for a moment. What do we normally want to do? Ah, yeah, we want to avenge ourselves. But the Bible says, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I need to ask you, I think I may have asked this last week, how many gods are there? Just one. And guess who's not him? None of us. None of us are God. But the problem is, I can only speak for myself, <coughs> there are times I want to play God. But the Bible says don't do that. And remember, we talked about God's wrath a few weeks ago and man's wrath. God's wrath is always righteous. God's wrath is always justified. Our wrath is rarely righteous, and it's rarely justified. Well, it's never righteous, but it's rarely justified. So we have to handle it biblically by making room for the wrath of God. But the fourth thing we need to do is return good for evil. Now, it amazes me what verses Christians use to, uh, to memorize. Well, preacher, the Bible says an eye for a eye, a tooth for a tooth. So if he knocks out my eye, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going for his eye. If he knocks out my tooth, now let me let me pause here for a moment, okay? That is not why that verse was written. The whole idea was for a judge, do not. Put a penalty on the crime more than it deserves. Keep it where it belongs. Doesn't justify us. Because again, Romans 12, look at verse 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I have to tell you this morning, folks, I think the only way to do that is to convert our anger into love. Convert our anger into love. Now we know that the Bible teaches that our actions begin in our heart. They, now I don't mean this pump here, I mean in our inner being, okay? Begins on the inner man. But we also have to understand, just as our actions flow out of the heart... We can alter our hearts by our actions. Matthew 5, look at verse 43 through 48. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. I don't mind that. How about you? And hate thine enemy. Don't mind that either. But I say unto you, Oh man, Lord. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and 
persecute you. What? But notice what he says in verse 45. That you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same, the tax collectors? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Do you realize this morning, folks, that we can change our feelings to somebody else, to another person, by changing how we choose to act toward that person. There's some people who I've met through the years, and I've been asking God to help me with that. They're not good people. They're rude. They're crude. They're inconsistent. And oftentimes when I would meet with them or be with them, I came with an attitude, I'm either going to ignore them or not treat them very good. You know what I found out? That doesn't work. That doesn't One particular time, I've told the story before, a fellow I work with, man, he was horrible. And he came to me one day, and he called me my, my last name. He said, Luthie, he said, you probably think I'm a pretty horrible person. He knew I was a Christian. Boy, I did. I did. But God caught, caught my tongue. And I said to him, I called him by name, I said, Dallas, it doesn't matter what I think. God loves you. God loves you. And tears began to stream down his face. He had a heart attack a few months later. I hadn't seen him for several months. He was off on sick leave and I was in supervision. And he took a special time to come in and see me. To tell me he'd gotten saved. You see, my feelings toward Dallas changed, but my actions changed. When I began to realize that God loves him just as much as God loves me. And we need to see people just that way. But we also, this, here, this, to me this is a big one. We handle anger biblically by communicating to solve the problem. You know what aggravates me? is when people think I can read their mind. Come on. And I've done the same thing. 
You can't read my mind. I can't read yours. I don't want you reading my mind. There's some things that I don't want you to see, all right? God, forgive me of those things. So we have to communicate. We need to communicate to solve the problem. It's interesting. The Bible gives us, I think, at least four basic rules of communication. They're in Ephesians 4. We'll begin in verse 15 and skip down to verse 25. The Bible says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor. Working with his hands the thing which is good. That he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. That it may minister, notice this, grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are saved unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven How many here have been forgiven by Christ? Amen. I'm not going to speak for myself. I know what He's forgiven me for. I know the awful things in my life, the sins of the past. But thank God His blood keeps on cleansing me from my sins. I praise Him for that. And the Bible says, we have to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven us. Be kind, tender-hearted. And I want to tell you, folks, sometimes we as Christians can be the most unkind people I know of. Yeah. So four principles from, or at least basic principles, for these verses. Number one, be honest and speak. Verse 15, Ephesians 4. Speak the truth how? You've got to speak the truth. Just speak it. Verse 25. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. Again, people cannot read your mind. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Be honest. Speak. Now, by the way, sometimes you better count to ten first. Okay? Amen? Bitter words are hard to swallow. Okay? We'll talk more about that in a moment. So number one, be honest. But number two, stay current. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. 
I like to cook. Pam doesn't, she, she don't mind me cooking, but uh, when I get down in the kitchen, you can tell I've been there. If I make with a flower, there's flower everywhere, on the wall, the ceiling. Uh, so she doesn't like that part. But every once in a while, the recipe I'm looking at, I usually Google something, whatever it is, uh, says, let it simmer. Have you ever simmered? Yeah. If we don't deal with our anger, we begin to simmer. And begin to churn. It begins to build up. And if we don't deal with it, it'll begin to boil over. And that's why we have to deal with whatever it is that's bothering us before it reaches a critical mass. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Then he adds, neither give place to the devil. How many know the devil wants you to simmer? He wants you to agitate. The third thing is, and we touched on this earlier, but we've got to attack the problem, not the person. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Don't raise your hand, okay? How many find that when your anger comes out, are you arguing with someone? How many find that your voice changes, your voice level? And if we deal with this, as we deal with our anger, we can't forget the importance of keeping the volume of our voices low. So what happens if we're angry at someone and we begin to yell at them? What usually happens? What's their response? They yell back. And then we do what? We yell louder. Be careful about that. Attack the problem, not the person. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer. Turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The fourth principle, basic principle, is act. Don't react. When I worked at General Motors, I had a friend of mine who was uh, attending another church, and he was uh, studying to be a minister. And, and he told me one time, he said, I'm, I'm trying to learn and not, not to allow people's action be responsible for my reaction. Good advice. Need to act, not react. Again, verse 31 and 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The problem is this, folks. Because of our fallen nature, 
when we become angry, our first impulse is often a sinful one. Guard your steps. And that's why I think it's important the time we spend counting to ten. Counting to ten. And we need to use that, if you will, to reflect upon a godly way to respond. Because if we're not careful, the energy of our anger will be used wrong. Again, one Greek word for anger is passionate passionate energy. We need to use it to solve problems, not to create a bigger problem. Don't let it boil over. Sometimes... We can avoid anger by setting strict boundaries. In fact, the Bible is very clear. As a child of God, we are to be very discerning. 1 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry, 2, verse 15 and 16. The Bible says that he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So that word judge means you you examine. You're discerning. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Set boundaries. Be careful. The fifth thing is, you've heard it before, don't catch your pearls before the swine. Matthew 7 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearl before swine, lest they trample them under feet, and turn again and rend you. There'll be times in your life when anger will lead you to recognize that certain people are not safe for you, they are un. Safe for you. Now hear me and hear me well. We can still forgive them. And we need to forgive them for whatever they've done. We must forgive them. But knowing they're not safe for us, we may choose not to re-enter that relationship. Jesus said, be careful. They may turn again. And rend you. Number six. I've got to learn to work on me. Amen. 
I've got to act to solve my part of the problem. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I may be wrong about this analogy, but I remember growing up um, in the country, of course, and around farmers, and my grandfather farmed. Both of them farmed a little bit. Have you ever heard of a banny rooster? Um, Now, the best of my recollection, uh, they were known for being kind of feisty. Uh, they'd go around picking a fight with other chickens. Oh, my younger sister, she probably listens. She listens almost every Sunday. But I won't tell her I'm talking about her. In her young age, she was like a banny rooster. And sometimes we're all that way. We 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 go around with a chip on our shoulder. And the Bible says we're to do all we can to live peace with all men. We're to have peaceful relations. And I realize that in a perfect world, everybody would live together peacefully. But we know because the world is broken, that's impossible. But that doesn't excuse you and I from our responsibility. Because the Bible says we are the salt of the earth. And because of that, we ought to do our best. Do our best. If it's possible. And as far as it depends upon us. Do our best to live in peace with all people. And I think the uh, implication is very clear here. We shouldn't be the ones who instigate it. We shouldn't be the banny rooster in other words. But we ought to do everything we can for reconciliation. And we cannot control how others might respond. But we can change our life. To make sure we're careful to how we respond. We've got to work on ourselves. And I don't believe that overcoming temper can can happen overnight. But with prayer and Bible study and relying on the Holy Spirit, ungodly anger, we can overcome it in our lives. Folks, there's nothing in our lives the Holy Spirit can't help us with. And He wants to. And one thing that, well, I'm talking about a banded rooster. One thing that, a banded rooster, uh, one thing that ruffles my feathers is to hear a Christian say to me, well, Pastor, I've always been that way. I've always had this temper. I've always did this, have been this way. 
And I realize that even when we allow anger to become entrenched in our lives by habitual practice, I think we can also begin to practice responding in the right way. And before long, that will become our habit. And our lives will be changed. By the way, we mentioned it a week or two ago. Jesus got angry, did he not? He drove the merchants out of the temple. But it was a righteous anger. He didn't sin. And so we need to follow his example. Uh, if we get angry, we're to, we're to do it without sinning. We read it a moment ago. And we do that. We deal with anger before the sun goes. Now, don't let it simmer. Don't let it boil over. Uh, Deuteronomy says sunset was the time uh, to take make things right. Look what it says. Deuteronomy 24, verse 13 and verse 15. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own clothing, his own raiment, and bless thee. And it shall be righteous unto thee before the Lord thy God. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor. He sets his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. So if we don't deal with our anger, it'll burn, it'll get out of control eventually, and what happens is it'll allow Satan to get a foothold in our life. And folks, we simply don't want to do that. And people who do that, we, we become, it becomes sin, uh, they become resentful, they become bitter. Don't let Satan do that to your life. So if Satan does that, he destroys our unity, he destroys our love. And that's why it's important we deal with the situation as soon as possible. And the only way to do that, folks, is to go to God and say, Lord, here I am. And I surrender my anger to you. Don't try to handle it on your own. Let the Spirit of God move you to action. Let him bring us to brokenness because God is the judge, not you or me. James gives us good advice, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Don't play God. Two important questions. Number one, are you ready to step down from the throne of your many judgment seat and allow God to be God? Am I ready for that? Now remember, we read it earlier. Ben uses mine, saith the Lord. Question number two. Are you ready to humble in your broken state, yourself in your broken state, and surrender your sinful anger to God? Folks, make sure you understand something. God will give you grace. In your time of need. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. 
Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Folks, <clears throat> grace is not only the unmerited favor of God, which it is, but also grace means the power to do something, the ability to do something. And if we will humble ourselves before God, he will give us grace. So whenever, if we're, if we're dealing with anger, when we are ready to repent, we need to ask God, ask those who we may have forgive, offended to forgive us, and we need to walk in victory over that anger that brought us to that point in our lives. And my friend, by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Let's stand together. How many know this morning that God cares about every area of our life? And God also cares on how we react and live in the midst of a broken world. And I realize that God has created all of us with passion. And anger is something God has given us to help us overcome our problems. But with everything in God's Word, we've got to remember, don't take that to the extreme. Let God deal with your hearts. Be kind one to another. Speak kind one to another. Because a soft answer will turn away wrath. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray you'll speak to all of our hearts, even mine, God. Because this is something we all deal with from time to time. Let us walk in your precepts. In Jesus' name I pray.